0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Cato Institute's Policy Forum. My name is Ian Vasquez. I direct the Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity at the Cato Institute. The United States has been fighting drug trafficking for at least 40 years since President Nixon declared uh, a war on drugs. This has not stopped drugs from being readily available and consumed in this country at uh, decreasing prices and at increasing uh, quality. During this time, Washington has led an increasingly aggressive international war on drugs in places as diverse as Peru and Afghanistan, but that's also been a policy that has proven impotent to stop uh, drug use. Yet the supply side uh, campaign against drugs has had high costs. It comes at a high price for drug transit and drug uh, producing countries. In reference to those costs, the the late Nobel laureate Milton Friedman many years ago observed, quote, as a nation we have been destroying foreign countries because we cannot enforce our own laws, unquote. Nowhere is the harm of prohibition, I think, more apparent today than in Mexico, a country that has seen a dramatic increase in violence, including about uh, more than 40,000 drug-related killings, since it began to aggressively prosecute a war on drugs beginning at the end of the year 2006. Journalists and politicians have been intimidated and killed, newspapers have stopped reporting the activities of drug cartels, cities have become militarized, and corruption has spread through police departments and other agencies of local and federal government in Mexico. It is ironic uh, that Mexico is prosecuting a war on drugs at a time when public opinion in the United States uh, is increasingly critical of drug policy here and indeed is more supportive than ever of finding other alternatives. For example, a new uh, Gallup p- poll just came out uh, that found a record 50% of Americans support the legalization of marijuana. That is up from 12% in 1969 and 25% or so in the uh, mid-1990s. 70% of Americans support the use of medical marijuana, and 16 U.S. states plus Washington, D.C. have already legalized such use. My colleague uh, Radley Balco observes that public support for pot legalization now is greater than the approval ratings of President Obama, the U.S. Congress, the U.S. Supreme Court, and every GOP presidential candidate. One of the reasons Americans are rethinking the current approach is not just because of its utter failure and its costs in terms of increased crime and uh, violations of civil liberties. I believe that Mexico is playing a large role in changing opinion. It is not a faraway country like Colombia or Peru. It is not an abstract concept. Americans are very familiar with with Mexico and have a great affinity uh, with Mexicans. for obvious reasons, the relationship with Mexico is one of the most important ones that the United States has. Mexico is also now on display as exhibit A on the effectiveness of the drug war. Americans are seeing violence uh, spreading o- spilling over the border and a drug war that is working at cross-purposes with important Mexican and U.S. policy goals, including the promotion of liberal democracy and civil society that Mexicans have worked so hard to achieve over the past several decades. To be sure, the debate in Mexico is also changing, and that's why I am honored and delighted to be able to introduce our speaker today who is playing uh, a leading and, uh, I should say, courageous role in that debate, challenging the status quo in Mexico and on the global s- stage. Former Mexican President uh, Vicente Fox has become an outspoken critic of prohibition and joins the growing number of uh, world figures ar- around the world uh, calling for policies that treat drug uh, abuse as a social uh, problem rather than a criminal uh, problem. I should say uh, that a number of those leaders including former Brazilian President Fernando Enrique Cardoso and former Mexican uh, Foreign Minister Jorge Castaneda and many others will be speaking at a major Cato Institute Conference here in Washington, D.C. on November 15th on ending the global war on drugs. And you can find more information about that at our website, cato.org. It is my pleasure then to introduce uh, President Fox. Vicente Fox was president of Mexico from the year 2000 to 2006, and he will be remembered uh, in Mexican history, among other things, for having broken more than 70 years of Uh, single-party rule in that country, thus obviously contributing to the democratization of Mexico. His presidency was characterized by economic uh, stability, which has led to the steady growth of Mexico's middle class, a phenomenon that I think is tremendously important for uh, the development of, of that country. And the transition to the next administration in Mexico after President Fox's was also marked by economic stability, setting uh, his presidency apart from too many other previous uh, presidents who left office uh, while also generating economic crisis. Today, uh, President Fox heads the Centro Fox in Guanajuato, Mexico, a state in which he was also governor previous to being president. Please help me welcome President Fox.
1: Buenos uh, días o buenas tardes. Thank you very much to the Cato Institute by giving us this opportunity to meet here together. And explore some ideas and make a review of the state of uh, things in Mexico related to the drug case. And uh, so, thank you very much for this invitation. We're very pleased here. Martin, myself, always with me. We had the same dream when we decided to move from the private sector to public life and run first for Congress and then Governor and then Presidency of Mexico, she's been my speaker, she's been the communication strategist, she's a reporter today here, she's reporting back to our webpage in Mexico. And we both, after finishing the responsibility and the honor of being president, decided to build the first presidential library outside the United States. It's the first experience we decided to build at the ranch where my grandfather came, migrating from Cincinnati, Ohio, into Mexico, looking for his American dream, That's the way migration was then, more (laughs) from the States to Mexico. And uh, we settled, he settled there in that ranch, and that's where we built the library. That's where all of you have a home. We're very active in our think tank activities, academic activities, on making and working on public policies to combat poverty, to promote education, health, and the housing and so there you have a home and any time you come to Mexico please give us a visit. I will start by throwing some ideas and maybe uh, provoking ideas and maybe then your questions will take us to specific issues because it's very complex to speak about this last remaining prohibition in the world now that most prohibitions have been teared off starting with the prohibition of eating apples that was established at the Garden of Eden <laughs> up to the prohibition of alcohol in Chicago about 100 years ago. And the most recent cases of uh, abortion which today in our constitutions. It's it's left to the responsibility and freedom of choice of women what they want to do in that case. And even the now authorized and prohibition eliminated of marriage between people of the same sex. So we might be at the frontier of the last prohibition remaining in this world. And I think that prohibitions don't work. And that the mechanism of freedom of choice and freedom exercised with responsibility is much more stronger than enforcing a prohibition and enforcing the law. I remember that uh, in Quito, Ecuador, Mariscal Sucre, when he became major of the city, uh, he expressed that there's no better police than the one we each one have within ourselves, by the limits we impose to ourselves, by ethical and moral uh, activities uh, that we carry within ourselves. And so, we're at the very moment where this issue of drugs, especially this so-called idea of war and drugs, I mean. Even that word of war, it's totally out of the strategy that should be followed in this case. There are many nations where it's not a crime to consume drugs, starting with Mexico. Mexico is not a crime to consume drugs. It is here in this nation. Other nations have taken the step forward to legalize drug consumption like it happened in Holland, like it happened in Portugal and so we're in front of a case that is complex and that we must see different sides of it. I would start by saying that Mexico just happens to be in between of those who produce drugs in the South, Colombia which keeps being one of the largest producers of drugs. Today, after the war on drugs, still very strong production of drugs come from Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, Bolivia, and others coming from the east, from Asia. So Mexico just happens to be in between those who produce and those who consume. And the great consumer of drugs in the world is this nation. It's estimated over 50 billion U.S. dollars worth of market price of drugs consumed in this nation. And the question is, once it crosses the border, those huge cargoes of drugs, what happens with them? Don't we have the DEA here and don't we have the CIA and I don't know how many other enforcement institutions? And how does that drug transit up to Washington? And why is drug here present in every place whether it goes to New York or to Chicago, or to Seattle or to San Francisco or to everywhere in the states? That's a good question. And the answer has been given up to so today and I refer here to what was mentioned before is let's try to hold it out there so that we don't get in trouble here. So let's ask the Mexicans to control the drug down there, or let's ask the Colombians to do it, and let's tip them with 500 million with a request of holding the drug down there. And I'm sure you are totally aware of the price we're paying in Mexico for doing this job. To start with, 50,000 lives. 50,000 kids from 15 to 25-year-olds that have been killed in the last five years. Another 50,000 that killed them. Another easily estimated 50,000 that are working for the cartels today for a salary of $1,000 at the very best. So we have 150,000 kids that were not born criminals that do not carry on their genius criminality and still either they paid with their life or they're working for the cartels. The conclusion should be that somewhere along the path and the journey of these kids they lost the way. And maybe they lost their way because the father decided to migrate looking for a better life to this nation, looking for some additional income to bring back to their families. And so he left the wife, the women back there, educating the kids, feeding the kids, dressing the kids, taking the kids to school. No time to educate. And maybe right from that very beginning is the explanation of part of the problem we're discussing here. But maybe those kids decided later that they wanted a scholarship or they wanted a sit in high school or in college or in university. Only 22% of kids in Mexico today are sitting on a university, 78% are not. They don't have that opportunity. Just for the sake of comparing. In Korea, 83% of kids titled from a university. 83%, much more than what happens in this nation or in Europe itself. So opportunities is a key ingredient on this problem we are discussing right now and that we must think about it. There is one organization, private organization, NGO in San Diego, California, which dedicates its efforts through the president, which is this kid named Chris Christian, who was a gang member, who was a uh, criminal, who was a drug addict. And someday he had the fall of St. Paul. He just fell from the horse. He reacted and he decided to get out of that world and join and found this organization. And so he dedicates his life to pulling out kids that are in trouble and to bring them back in uh, to a good way, to a good life. And kids accept that. If they do have the opportunity, they will happily change from what they are doing to doing something that is gonna be much better for them For their happiness and for their future. But okay, so Mexico is in between and we're paying that kind of price. We're also paying the price of a 35 percent decrease on foreign direct investment in the second quarter of this year. We're paying the price of a reduction, important reduction on the flow of tourism into Mexico. All businesses are being severely affected, especially on border states in the northern part of Mexico. Uh, Our business community, our business brains are moving out of the country. You will find them anywhere in San Diego, San Antonio, in Dallas, in Houston, in Miami, San Diego, Los Angeles. Even you find some of them up in Toronto. They decided to move out with their families. And I'm sure that's not good for the business and that's good for Mexican economy. It's not good for the growth that we need and the opportunities that we have to build for kids. The cost of image, the name of Mexico today, especially here in the States. I mean, everybody says, what's going on with those Mexicans? What what happened with them now? I mean, are they drinking too much tequila? Why, Why the killings? And the answer is the one I'm... I'm saying, and unfortunately, when the image of your name is eroded, you're in trouble, you're in problems to the future. So all of this together has to bring us to thinking how do we get out of this trap, which we don't deserve, but we just happen to be in this trap. And then we say money laundering, let's cut the supply of money to the criminals. And most of the money laundering is done here in this nation, although we're blamed that it's done in Mexico. And all the weapons that are brought down to equip the cartels, the ammunition, the grenades, coming from this nation. And uh, many other things. So, We have to think new ideas. And we should start by reviewing the tolerance with illegality, with breaking the law that we find in most every government in the world, starting with this one here. How can those billions of dollars be raised? Who collects? Who distributes? who consumes, breaking the law. And then you go to Europe, and same thing. I mean, Paseo La Castellana in Madrid or downtown London. There's drug everywhere. So there seems to be a great acceptance or tolerance that, of course, is not publicly accepted, but it's there. It's right there. And no other government except Felipe Calderon's government has said, OK, that's it. No more drugs to our kids and to the kids in United States. And so he joins or declares this same war on drugs. But I don't see that going on here. I don't see it in Spain. I don't see it in Greece. I don't see it anywhere. So this same wars are taking us nowhere, according to my understanding, because violence does not defeat violence. I think that we have much better means to face uh, this task that we have ahead. I even think that it has the legalization, it has ethical and moral sustainability. Because who is at the very end responsible for consuming drugs? Directly, the consumer, our kids. Indirectly, it was parents that we did not educate correctly. Maybe we didn't inform them enough how harmful drugs are to their health, how they're going to waste their lives, how they can be way, way apart from reaching happiness as far as it can be done in this world. Educating, forming, informing, it's a key issue that we most promote. Why should we ask government to do the job for us that we're not doing as parents or not doing as a school system? How can we think that government is going to put our kids on a bell of crystal so that they cannot cannot reach out for drugs? Do we really expect that, that government will eradicate drugs from the face of the earth? This has never happened and it will not happen. I think it's crucial that we change the paradigm and the strategy. Globally, I think that it's time to discuss about this last remaining prohibition and see the fundamentals of it, and maybe that would be one way of getting out of the trap. Because imagine what Portugal attained by taking away from criminals this mammoth amount of money and now it's in the hands of government. Imagine if we take away from criminals those 50 billion U.S. dollars raised every year here in the States and we put it in hands of government. So then we can educate, we can inform, we can prevent, and we can do the job. In the case of Mexico. the Army Army is not prepared for doing police work. Armies are mostly welcoming or accepting violations of human rights. Armies are for other purposes and sometimes we are explained that because of national security Armies can violate human rights or can violate due judiciary process of citizens like it happened in Guantanamo. I mean they they still keep those guys there. I mean now for three, four years and the due legitimate judiciary process, where is it? Or the violations to human rights and that's going on in Mexico today. Because you see on the news every day, different groups presented there, appointed as criminals and giving all the records of criminality when they have not even gone yet to the prosecutor, has not intervened, or, or the, much less than that, the judge. They have not been judged and they are publicly accused. So the army should go back to their headquarters as soon as possible. And unfortunately, by thinking that with the Army we will reach the solution, we're not moving fast enough on building the police corps that we need to meet the criminals and to enforce the law. And by the way, it's it's not this which is enforcement, or a different strategy. It's not to choose one or the other. We have to add strategies so that we can move faster to get out of this trap. So we have to create those police corps. We have 350,000 police corps, most of them at municipal level, many of them at a state level and a few of them at federal level. And yes, the idea is to have one strong body and institution to carry on with the duty of enforcing the law. And we're talking about integrating those police corps. So we have 2,900 different municipal police corps that account for over 300,000 people in those corps. Who are going to go up to the state level? Who are going to be fired and out of? How long would that process take? So the only thing I'm saying here is that we have to move fast on this. And that one thing I learned here, because in Mexico this issue is highly politized, so you see the guy coming from the pan to the municipal level and he brings his friends or what he thinks is the experts and appoint them police chiefs. And then comes the PRI and throws out the guy from the pan and he brings in new people. And then comes PRD and they bring different. So there's no seniority, no professionalization of the, of the corps. So I like what I saw here, which is many sheriffs are elected directly by the people with no partisan participation, no parties participating, just people directly electing the sheriff. And that has become into a very professional career And so, only those professionals offer their services in those elections to become sheriffs. So, building the reliable police corps that we need is an urgency, an absolute urgency to do that in Mexico. Legalization, I already spoke about. Many say, well, Mexico cannot take that step by itself. I don't know why because Portugal didn't request the permit from the European Union to take their own decision and to legalize in Portugal, as we see in the Cato report. So that's something that's an option that we have there. But at the very end, the most important one is building opportunities. And then we have to review what is NAFTA. NAFTA is totally dormant at this point in time, which is that powerful tool to move our economies, to make our three economies competitive, to protect our jobs here in the United States and in Canada and in Mexico. All three of us were losing jobs to the east, to Asia, and our reaction should be a powerful new vision of NAFTA so that we build up the opportunities. Also, the case of migration. I mean, thinking that by building walls the problem of migration is going to be solved, I think is again a great mistake. And again, like prohibitions, walls don't work. We can do much better than that sitting down and discussing what should be the strategies in relation to migration. Look at this guy now declaring publicly that he put electric wire on top of the fence at 20 meters high so that migrants die there. Or to put in water drills. I mean, it's incredible. It's nonsense what's going on with the oldest democracy in the world, the 200-year-old democracy that gave us so many inspirations, that gave us so many good ideas to extend to the rest of the world, today it's incredible. They cannot come to an agreement. It's like the cat and the dog. And no solution to the economy and when this nation doesn't solve the solution, the, the, the economy of the United States, we're in trouble in Mexico. That would be a good way to solve This problem of violence and drugs by growing the economy and by extending the jobs and the opportunities to more and more people are things that are highly related to the issue and at the very end have to do with opportunities for these kids that today don't have them. Mexico is going now into an electoral process. We're going to elect. A new president next year, and I hope, by all means, I hope that contrary to what is the ineffectiveness at this moment of the democracy here in the states that cannot build consensus, cannot bring in solutions, I hope that in the case of Mexico, democracy will be that refreshing, uh, <coughs> solid value that comes with answers when you need them the most. And I do hope that this next process will bring in new ideas to confront the problem of crime and drugs and that it will also bring new strategies or new public policies like it happened in Iraq. It was difficult to think that President Bush will withdraw from his strategy that he launched with such a passion uh, after September 11th. But Obama came in and changed. He promoted the withdrawal. I think that Mexico can find a way out of this trap in this next electoral process. And that's my best wish uh, of that to happen. Because otherwise, I mean, we're not going to be there to the future on the Place that we have in this world, Mexico, one of the leading nations, democratic nations, one of the great nations to invest, we have to come back to our path. In five years, we lost leadership in Latin America. In my term, Mexican economy was 25% larger than Brazilian economy. Today, Brazilian economy is 50 percent larger than Mexican economy. We're seeing everybody else run and grow and we're stagnant and with the future of, of going nowhere. So with these ideas, uh, I finished and uh, love to hear from you on this dialogue.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, (coughs) You threw out a lot of uh, ideas out there and I'm sure there will be questions. So uh, I will just uh, ask if you have a question, uh, please raise your hand and wait for the microphone to come to you and then identify yourself and ask your question. We'll take a question right uh, here on this side, please.
2: Sí, señor presidente Fox, eh, usted mencionó eh, el proceso electoral en México en este momento y esta lucha contra las drogas. Si usted nos puede hacer un comentario, en unos días pasados el presidente Calderón eh, hizo algunas acusaciones sobre el PRI, ¿cree usted, eh, comparte su opinión de que el PRI ha pactado o pactaría con los carteles en aras de la paz? Y básicamente si también español nos puede... Resumir su posición sobre el, la urgencia de legalizar las drogas en este país.
0: Lourdes, I wonder if you want to just ask that question very quickly in English.
2: Yes, I'm asking President Fox if he shares President Calderon's um, position that uh, the opposition party, the PRI, um, has pacted with the uh, cartels or would in the future, and also to summarize in Spanish the position on the legalization of drugs. Thank you.
1: Uh, you don't have to negotiate, and there is nothing to. En español primero, okay.
0: Okay, rápido
1: porque está en Okay. You don't have to negotiate, uh, and there is a Latin American solution to this kind of problems, and I mention it quickly. When Subcomandante Marcos se levantó revealed against government uh, to get him out and uh, criminal acts became they killed people in San Cristobal de las Casas, they killed policemen and the reaction of government three days after was to form the COCOPA, the Concordia en Pacificacion uh, Commission composed by congressmen. By the executive branch, by a negotiator appointed by uh, President uh, at that time, and they s- got what everybody thought it was very difficult to get: to sit everybody on a table. So there was a cease of fire, and sitting on that table, three months later, what was a rebellion against government? converted itself into a social movement representing the indigenous people from Chiapas. It's surprising what you can do sitting on a, on a table discussing issues that happened there. Number two example, President Mishetzen in Colombia with the extraditable case. He offered the cartels and the criminals not to extradite them to the states as long as they would submit themselves to Colombian justice. And he even went further ahead by saying that he would respect their capital and their monies if they would submit to Colombian justice. So it's not negotiating, it's not exchanging or, 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 or territory or it's not anything that cannot be done because of our uh, laws, but there are ways and means to walk ahead. So that's, that's one way I think that this can be done. A ver, muy rápido en español. Estoy diciendo que negociar no es la palabra correcta, que sí se puede buscar un cese al fuego que esto sucedió en el caso de Chiapas, cuando se formó la COCOPA, la Comisión de Concordia y Pacificación, oficialmente por el gobierno mexicano, aprobado en nuestras leyes y se sentaron a nego- hablar con un con un criminal, con el subcomandante Marcos. Y a través de ese diálogo, en tres meses, lo que fue la idea de Marcos de derrocar un gobierno y hacer una guerra, al país y dentro del país, inclusive a a separar el territorio, se convirtió en un movimiento social en representación de los indígenas, entonces hay modos, el otro fue el del presidente Michelson en Colombia, que él ofreció a los criminales la no extradición si se sometían a la justicia colombiana y número dos, les ofreció respetar su dinero y su capital y sus bienes si se sometían a la justicia. Entonces, eh, no hay que romper la ley, no hay que dividir el territorio, y sin embargo, se puede avanzar con esas ideas.
0: Okay, we'll try to keep it uh, in English
3: from now on. Right there. Uh, Howard Waldrich from Citizens Opposing Prohibition. <coughs> Señor, yo lo siento uh, sumamente uh, el, suf- el sufrimiento de su país causado por nuestra prohibición y según mis experiencias como policía la guerra sin fin la prohibición de drogas es
0: el most
3: más inmoral de que yo sepa como la esclavitud question about policies and politicians in Mexico a few years ago a congressman said that if you could take a secret vote today uh, regarding marijuana policy marijuana would be legal the politicians in, in in Mexico if they could take a secret vote do you think they would also Change the policy, perhaps to total legalization, treat marijuana like
1: beer? Okay, uh, it is treated like that today in Mexico. Today it's not forbidden to consume marijuana or cocaine or any drug. You can consume whichever drug you like, and you, there's no penalties for that. The penalties for distributing and producing or transpassing from, from there. So at least that exists in Mexico today. But I think we should go further ahead. My proposal is to legalize completely all drugs and the whole chain of production. The farming or production in factories, the distribution, the selling, and the collecting of the money. I know it's, it's, uh, it's breaking the paradigm, but uh, Portugal has proven that it works. No increase in consumption in Portugal. Holland has proven that it works. No increase in consumption in Holland. Chicago has proven that it works in the case of the prohibition there.
0: Uh, we'll take a question here in front.
4: Jesus Esquivel de la revista Proceso. Sorry, I have to ask this question in Spanish because he confused me a lot dijo la palabra no es negociar un al fuego the other question i want to ask oh, can you repeat it in English yeah he says not to negotiations but he says yes to cease of fire with the narcos so how he's going to, what's the solution to get to sit with the narcos is a negotiation to see, to look for a cease of fire and uh, in terms of the legalization, it's always surprising that when a politician left government, immediately he started working in new ideas. My question to you is, why, when you were president and have a lot of power, don't promote the legalization of the use of drugs? Okay. It's too late.
1: Uh, OK, um, I would say that anybody can understand the difference between cease of fire and negotiation.
4: <risa>
1: bueno, de, ok. Permito, español, en inglés. Todos entendemos la diferencia entre un cese al fuego. Pero ¿Cómo lo logra? ¿Cocopa? ¿Cómo lo logró Cocopa? Hay que reconocer al obispo Ruiz, que tuvo la capacidad de convocar y tener ahí a los presidentes que decidieron formar la COCOPA, a los senadores y diputados que fueron allá y lograron sentarse en una mesa y lograron el cese al fuego, voluntariamente aceptado por Marcos. ¿Por qué no puede suceder aquí? Okay. Además, yo no tengo todas las soluciones, yo estoy exponiendo ideas. Okay. Se so far, is totally different to negotiating. I'm reiterating that what happened in Chiapas was obtaining a cease of power without negotiating, without ceding territory, without violating the Constitution, or without uh, violating the law. And some of the things that were put on the table is we can create a new law for handling the case. And all. So Subcomandante Marcos accepted and said, okay, how can we build up that law? How can we change things? When you're on a dialogue, it's impressive the amount of ideas that come to that table. Number two, <coughs> uh, why not when I was President I spoke about legalization? Because we didn't have the problem as we have it today. See, si, senor, we didn't have it. All the statistics and the figures are there. We didn't have the problem that we have today. And in my term, we reduced the amount of homicides per each 100,000 inhabitants. Today, it has grown out of control. So it's a totally different situation, number one. Number two, uh, even worldwide, same thing. The awareness for the first time public opinion in the United States is 50% in favor of legalizing marijuana. That was not true 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So it's bringing to our attention the need to attend the issue, the, the growth of this problem, the growth of this problem. So it's, it's time for the open discussion of this.
3: Take
0: a question right there, please. Up. Behind the railing. Can can you give her a microphone, please? Whoever has the mic, thank you.
3: Um, Texas Governor Rick Perry said um, in the past week, month, or so that. Could you identify yourself, please? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm ABC. Or I'm Amy Bingham with ABC News. Um, and Governor Perry said a couple months ago that um, he wouldn't take any options off the table when it came to Mexico. Um, do you agree that? that the, a military option shouldn't be uh, taken off the table when it comes to the war on drugs in Mexico?
1: U.S. military action? Yes. Oh.
3: <laughs>
1: God, protect us. We had so many in the past. We don't want no more. <laughs> we lost part of our territory through that. We lost New Mexico, Texas, and California. No more wars. No more U.S. Army in our territory. I, I would die to prevent that.
0: Right here.
4: Uh, my name is Terry Michael. I run the Washington Center for Politics and Journalism. First of all, just a comment. I worked with politicians for 40 years, and I haven't seen any of our leaders after they get out of office show the courage that you have. My question is about marijuana legalization. For 40 years, we've been seeing organizations crop up to legalize marijuana. One of the arguments has been, well, if we legalize marijuana, that will be a foot in the door to legalize everything else. I think just the opposite. I think our politicians will say, well, you got your marijuana now, shut up. Won't it be just moving to white powder away from dried leafy vegetation and the killing will continue?
1: What's wrong with all of it? I mean, I don't see anything wrong. I see, for instance, the figures I have is that in Mexico, not more than a thousand people, not more, die for an overdose of drugs, of whichever drug. In exchange, tens of thousands of people die from drinking alcohol in excess or die from smoking and getting cancer. We, we have to put on the table the discussion. I mean, it's, it's an evil. It's something that, that we wish it would not exist, but it's going to be here and forever. Now, how we administrate, how we handle that. And I want to come back to the tolerance. Uh, I know it's very complicated to say this, but this issue is administrated by governments. It's not a saint word declared in each place to kill all criminals and to end up all uh, presence of any drug anywhere. Now, I understand today that smoking marijuana is less harmful than smoking a cigarette for your health, but more so if we can separate the health issue and deal with it on policies to attend a health issue, and then the violence and the crime. Uh, Just by separating, we have solved half of the problem, very possibly. Now, I I know that it's difficult for a government to take the step. But that's why public opinion formation, that's why responsibility on educating our families and our kids is so crucial, because that's where the responsibility lies. According to my thinking,
0: we'll take a okay. We'll take a question on this side, please, right there.
3: Uh, Speak into the microphone, bit, question? please. Okay. My name is Gregorio Meraz. I'm correspondent for Televisa News Network. Uh, Mr. Fox, uh, I would like to ask you in English, but maybe you can answer in Spanish because we need some bites for Mexican television. You have prized, uh, you have prized uh, Mr. Peña Nieto and received him in your ranch. I would like to ask you, do you think uh, he might can become the next president of Mexico? Uh, and do you think this will be a good way to refresh the Mex- Mexican democracy, as you have mentioned? And on the other hand, I would like to ask you, do you th- have you lived the effects of this growing violence in Mexico? Do you think this is something out of the reach now? Okay,
1: reference to Enrique Peña Nieto. He is leading the race up to this moment with a very strong advantage. Three to one to the next guy, but that's today. Many things can happen from today to the election day. And what those things, when those things happen, is him that has to convince Mexican people that he would be elected uh, I'm then i'm um, my last declaration in today 's declaration today if today was the election, yes he would be the president but but still we have eleven months ahead, and things can change easily and uh, your second question was.
3: Problems uh, going across checkpoints, etc. Have you lived in Mexico the effects of the growing balance? Are you concerned about these uh, checkpoints from drug cartels all over the country? And I think some of them uh, near Guanajuato.
1: Well, uh, no doubt that it has extended considerably and uh, is present on very specific locations, not everywhere. But the thing is that many times you put the pressure on one spot and they move to the next one. So it has to be a national action so that uh, it can be confronted the right way as long as the enforcement strategy has to be kept because we must commit with the law. But if we bring in another strategies, that we can start in different parts and regions of Mexico, I think that uh, that, that would be uh, a great way to solve the problem. This is this strategy of this kid in San Diego. I think it's crucial. I think that that's the right way to go, uh, to bring in the opportunities uh, labeled specifically addressed to these kids or these regions or these cities where the problem is, is greater than the rest of the nation. I think that uh, we can start there and we should be doing it very fast and quickly. You know the, the <laughs> <laughs> bueno, <laughs> rapidamente este, tu pregunta sobre Enrique Peña Nieto, lo que hoy confirmo como la vez anterior, es que las encuestas hoy lo marcan bastante adelante de cualquier otro candidato con una ventaja de tres por uno pero de aquí al día de la elección todavía faltan muchos meses y todo puede suceder entre ahorita y ese momento lo que sí espero yo de este proceso electoral es que nos dé las ideas nos de las alternativas discutamos los problemas que tenemos enfrente para que las soluciones vengan Okay, uh,
0: let's take a question over there. Could you raise your hand again, please? Right there.
5: Hi, I'm Luis Alonso with the AP. Um, Mr. President, um, Undersecretary Brownfield talked yesterday. Uh, he was asked yesterday about the, this proposal of dispenalization of drugs. And he, uh, paraphrasing him, he said that uh, he doesn't have moral objections to the idea, but that nobody has done uh, the enough analysis of the consequences. He mentioned um, uh, enforcement, liability, um, And he said that nobody has proven him uh, that this would work. Um, so my question is, uh, does this change? Would necessarily include uh, persuading the u s government uh, to do to, to uh, do something like you're proposing, and how do you think uh, you know the u s government could be persuaded because the the u s poli- position has been emphatically known thank you
1: okay. Okay. Uh, this is uh, undersecretary, you said yes, declarations? For yeah. Well, Well, okay. Uh, I already mentioned this. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's ideas that have to be explored, and uh, from ideas uh, you have to come to action. So what we have to provoke is those ideas to move rapidly, not just to stay saying no, no, no. We have to stay where we are, and there's nothing new and nothing can be done. I think that's the worst of the situation, not being aware how public opinion is moving ahead with this issue, how this issue is affecting so severely many nations, not only Mexico now, it's moving down south to Guatemala, Salvador, and and all of Central America. So we have to react by speeding up whatever solutions uh, will come. The thing is we cannot stay where we are because it's affecting too much.
0: Some of us would say that the burden of proof really has uh, gotten to be on those who are advocating a failed policy at this point. Uh, Let's take a question from this side of the room right there in front, please.
5: My name is Rachel Sedona, I'm from the um, Inter-American Dialogues Latin American Advisor. Uh, Some people have suggested that the cartels are so deeply entrenched in Mexican society and are engaged in so many other criminal activities such as kidnapping and extortion that drug legalization might not actually have as great of an effect as one might presume. How would you respond to that criticism?
1: Yeah, what you're saying is true. And uh, legalization is not the only way uh, to go. I think that we have to uh, blend and add new strategies besides the enforcement strategy or this that is creating so much violence. Uh, That's that's what I'm suggesting, that, that we must open for alternatives diversify the strategy and, and include all those involved on this. As I said, those who produce, those who distribute and sell, those who are places of transit. We have to work together. But at the very end, I think it will make a great contribution, legalization, and it can start step by step. Pretty soon in this nation, marijuana will be open. And pretty soon in this nation, the medical use will extend to the other states. And medical use is proven to be advantageous uh, and and widely demanded from the health community and the sick people to have access to, to this. So I think it will keep moving forward until we reach a solution.
0: Okay we have time for just a couple more uh, questions. We'll take one right there in front Hello, uh, I'm Kurt Gerard from the American Enterprise Institute
2: and my question is uh, basically legalization would have a lot of great effects, but it's not going to happen for a while obviously it's not going to happen you know in the next month so given that Mexico has to do something about the corruption and like given the efficacy of Zeta's ability to threaten or bribe almost anyone they want to. How do you see Mexican society with military, police, and politicians being able to move forward in the short term with this corruption issue?
1: Well, Mexican society has fear. And fear is not a good advisor. And fear demands for solutions on security. And uh, this is this has to be the task, but we need to add new ideas, new alternatives. As I said, maybe uh, the, the the strong commitment of actual government on one strategy, a single strategy, uh, will be changed. Maybe for next government to have that strategy as needed, but also start new strategies and new actions. The thing is how long you are going to be waiting for your country to be destroyed. How long? And at the very end of this war what Mexico we are going to have uh, and the hope to the future and the faith in our nation. How long? We, we must demand and, and the day will come. In already some public official in the United States said, let's help the Mexicans because otherwise they're going to renounce to keep doing the job they're doing. Well, it begins to be an awareness there. And, and if we don't solve this, that they will come, that we say, okay, man, I, I cannot do it. I'm not going to be doing it anymore. You do it. Not by sending the army to Mexico, of course. <laughs> not by that. but." But I guess we're just prophetas trying to say, let's do something, like Presidente Cardoso and Lagos and Cedillo and and our great writer Carlos Fuentes and Castañeda and and, and United Nations. Many United Nations are totally in favor. That 50% of public opinion in the United States. Uh, more and more, and I think it's great and welcome. And what we have to is let it go, not say just no because it's a no. That that's what is not accepted when you're in trouble. You have to come up with ideas and solutions.
0: <coughs> okay, right here <coughs> uh, in in the middle here.
1: Yep.
4: Presidente Fox, my um, name is Jose Miguel Luna.
0: I'm a student here at Georgetown University. Um, You mentioned your strategies of uh, calming the fire, um, ceasing fire, um, and also you mentioned that during your presidency, you effectively reduced the homicide rates and the violence and the crime. Uh, My question is what specifically did you do um, to suppress that violence? Because I mean, I think most most of us would argue that that the drug problem was there, it just wasn't as big in magnitude and, and as volatile as it is today. Um, my question is, what specifically did you do during your presidency? Um, to the presidency?
1: same that President Obama does, the same that President Clinton does, the same that uh, President Zapatero does, the same that uh, Merkel does in Germany. I mean, you, you control, you try to refrain. But reducing from the nine crimes committed by each 100,000 inhabitants, which is world average, pretty difficult. In this nation, there are many cities, large cities that have rates over and above that nine. Brazil has way above that nine. Colombia is way above that nine. And in my case, it was nine when I ended up my presidency. This is all crime in a ratio to one each 100,000 inhabitants. So it's a it's an indicator that everybody uses worldwide. I mean, pretending that you are going to eradicate drugs or you're going to end up with criminals, it's, I mean, it's close to nonsense. It's like sex, or it's like, I mean, it's, it's things that are part of human beings, and uh, so you, you do the best, and there are nations that are way below, but you have to have many other things, a healthy economy, per capita incomes of 50,000 or over, uh, when we are in Latin America, 10,000 or below, when 45 percent of our population still is not middle class. It's a long way to go to have the environment and the conditions uh, to do that. And by the way, I'm going to be at Georgetown University this afternoon. It's so a university I love because they are Jesuits, and I think that Jesuits uh, do bring a lot of good thinking. For instance, when you compare Machiavelli, he says you gain respect by imposing fear. This is what many governments do, and then they become authoritarian. Or, or you gain respect by love, which is a much better strategy, and my always for that strategy. So, uh, I don't want to be president again. (laughs) I don't like politics. I'm very happy with what I am doing and making a comment with the question that came in, yeah, you think different when you're 70 than when you're 30 or 40. You think different when you're a former president and you don't have the responsibility. You open your mind. And I'm only trying to contribute, same as these so many former presidents that I find everywhere, Toledo is here, Lagos comes here every time, we meet on the road, we do speeches, we bring in ideas, we have foundations, and we try to contribute uh, also with our thoughts. What What I don't accept is when they tell me, quiet, don't speak or you're crazy with what you're saying. I, I just want to put my share of thought that we developed in Central Fox, which is a think tank, which is an academic center. We do programs with Georgetown. We do programs with George Washington. We do programs with, with Emory. We do programs with University of New Mexico. We do it with Tecnologico de Monterrey. We do it with Spain. We do think tank with the RAND Corporation, and we're going to be presenting this study on elderly, uh, trying to suggest new public policies in Latin America to attend the elderly. Uh, Fifty percent of our population pretty soon is going to be there. It's 250 million people that today don't have nothing once they retire. They don't have a home. They don't have income. They don't have health attendance. They don't have nothing. So we have to work on those kind of policies, and we do with Georgetown. Okay, so we'll take one
0: last uh, very quick question and very quick answer up there on the, on the railing. Uh, please give th- her a microphone.
2: Hi, uh, Lana Allman with Booz Allen Hamilton. You briefly touched on immigration and the movement of people. Uh, if you could comment uh, from your perspective what both countries can do Today um, is a cooperative effort to uh, to look at this question of migration and uh, currently in this context today. Thank you.
1: Well, what we could do is tear off that wall, that ugly wall, and sit down to discuss an issue that is to the advantage of both of our nations. This nation is is having more and more elderly population. And the question is who is going to sustain the, the pension plans who is going to nurse the old here in this nation. It's needed a combination of both. We have the youth, you have the wisdom and the seniority. By working together, by sitting down in Congress, and it's unfortunately that Congress of the United States Congress is not attending this issue. It's always afraid of doing it because you're always on an election. And in elections we don't talk about migration. When we can build up maybe the strongest asset that we can have both of us together. And number two, I think that we have to awaken NAFTA that is dormant. Right now NAFTA is dormant and we're not using that powerful tool to defend our jobs, United States, Canada, and Mexico. We are not having the competitiveness to meet the challenge of the East. Pretty soon Chinese economy is going to be larger than this economy. What are we doing? Who is imagining in this nation where this nation and NAFTA will be in 1920, in 1930, in 1950? What do we want to be? And then we seem to have hit the roof. We don't seem to have the capacity and the wisdom to come up with solutions to this mammoth economic crisis. In Europe, they seem to have reached the roof of the European Union, great project. Now, they don't seem to know where to go from now on. I think it's time for leadership. It's time for ideas. It's time for uh, Living behind the past and building the future.
0: Well, thank you very much. I'm afraid we've run out of time. Before I invite all of you to go to lunch through these doors over here, please uh, join me in thanking President Fox.